0: This is Episode 10 of Everyday Wellness, Diet Detox, Change Your Behaviors for Real, Sustained Weight Loss with Dr. Robin Pashby. I'm Dr. Kelly Donahue, Clinical Health Psychologist, here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, Functional Nutritionist and Nurse Practitioner. Let's get started. Welcome to Everyday Wellness. Wellness is the result of the decisions that you make every day. It's your mindset and the thoughts you believe. Wellness is the food you put in your body and the relationship you have with yourself and others. Wellness is your work and meaning. Join us on Everyday Wellness as we explore ways that you can choose wellness today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Everyday Wellness. Cynthia and I are very excited today to have with us a very special guest and friend, Dr. Robin Pashby. Dr. Pashby is a licensed clinical health psychologist and the founder of DC Health Psychology, which is a group of behavioral health providers who specialize in treatment of obesity, pain, and other chronic health conditions. She has offices in Bethesda, Maryland, and the DuPont Circle area of Washington, D.C. In addition to her thriving clinical practice, Dr. Pashby has authored or co-authored numerous publications in the areas of weight management, including peer-reviewed scientific articles, book chapters, and blog posts. She has extensive training in cognitive behavioral therapy and interpersonal therapy, both evidence-based interventions for issues related to eating and weight. Before founding DC Health Psychology, Dr. Patchby served as a clinician for multiple National Institutes of Health funded research projects exploring the prevention and treatment of obesity. She also helped establish and served as the assistant director and head clinician for the National Center for Weight and Wellness in Washington DC. Dr. Pashby lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband and her adorable daughter. And I did add in the adorable part because she's so sweet. So, Dr. Pashby, welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here.
1: And Thanks. I do want to mention that we are incredibly grateful that you are tapping in uh, from your vacation with your family this morning. So, thank you for being so gracious with your time. We really appreciate it.
0: You're very welcome. And in honor of your time and your vacation, I think we should just dive in, probably to the question that most people would want to ask someone like you with your extensive educational background and work experience and personal and clinical practice. So why don't you tell us why diets don't work? Well, that's
2: a great question, probably the million-dollar question. Um, I have a lot of different answers to that, but let me just say that in my opinion, diets are all about numbers, numbers of calories, the number on the scale, the number of fat grams or carbohydrate grams. And the truth is that we just don't live day to day in numbers that way. We live in behaviors and routines and patterns and diets simply don't teach us about altering those.
1: That's such an important distinction because I I find that a lot of the women I end up working with have been calorie counting for so many years that when I tell them to stop, uh, they really feel lost uh, and and I think that's a really, very val- valuable distinction.
2: I think that's right. I think we've gotten away from just understanding ourselves and our behaviors and become so focused on the numbers. and as you know, Cynthia and Kelly, there's just so many competing in uh, numbers and different information out there that it's confusing
1: absolutely, absolutely. And you know what's interesting i I have quite a few women that have come from a a very well known um uh, fitness program, and you know they they did my Fitness Pal for a long time, and and I'm a huge fan of intuitive eating, uh, and I I'd love to get your take on, um, you know, if that's an approach that you utilize with your own your own clients and patients, um, you know, day to day, or if you've done work with that in in the past. You know, I have
2: done work with intuitive eating, and I I think much like pretty much any style of eating plan. It really helps and works well for some people, Mm -hmm. but for other people, not so much. And I think for us, the work that I do at DC Health Psychology and with my colleagues, it's really about understanding each individual person Mm -hmm. and what will work for that person. So not trying to ascribe to any particular uh, plan or path, but really getting to know that person and allowing us to be flexible and to evolve what works for us over time.
1: That's so smart. I mean, I, I think even with, you know, Western medicine's perspective, and I always apologize to Kelly and say, that's always, that's, that was the basis of where I started my journey. Um, but bio-individuality is, is so crucial. I, I love that your, your focus is really on each individual as a person and not trying to ascribe um, a blanket statement to everyone. I think that's I, invaluable.
2: Thank you. Yes. I, I find my clients really respond um, well to that. Although I think like you said earlier, it, it does people leave people feeling a
0: little, uh, anchorless in the Mm -hmm. beginning.
1: Absolutely.
0: When we touched on the intuitive eating piece, I'm guessing that the reason perhaps why it doesn't work as well for some and for as well as it might for others is that some people are just sort of less tapped into their emotions is, do you think that's, that's the case? I think that's right. I think everyone has their own
2: uh, different experience and connection with their their both their emotions and their physical bodies. And with intuitive eating, we're really asking people to be connected to both of those components, right? How they feel and how their bodies feel. And living a life in a body that um, people have felt ashamed about or that has experienced trauma, I think it's natural to become disconnected from your physical body and from your emotions. And then people often turn to food as a, as a coping strategy. So while intuitive eating is really fantastic for those people that are more connected, I think it also um, becomes more challenging for people who do feel further disconnected from their physical and emotional health.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm sure there's so much work that you do just helping people manage stress and trying to help them find new ways of um, managing that so that they can better feel their emotions once the stress is sort of out of the way. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about the role of stress? Oh,
2: absolutely. Stress and sleep, to me, are the two most underrated components of weight management out there. Um, Sometimes People come to me and I start by saying, let's talk about how you're sleeping. And and people think, wait, no, I just want to lose weight. But stress and sleep are two pieces of the puzzle that unless we get those pieces uh, calmer and more routine and consistent, I think people really struggle to follow any behavioral change path that we take. So in stress management, it might be something formal like practicing meditation or um, diaphragmatic breathing or yoga, if that's available to that person, but it also might be looking more um, in depth at some of the stressors in people's lives, whether that's work or family or caretaking responsibilities, uh, or you, you name the number of other
0: things out there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that we all know that with stress and with any other kind of chronic health issue, that there are a number of contributors, things that make us stress, things that make us feel a certain way. Can you talk a little bit about the other behaviors and how you work on changing some of those behaviors, those behaviors that both contribute to stress and lack of sleep and down the road lead to weight gain and obesity?
2: Sure. Um, Well, so in terms of stress contributors, I think that roles that people have, um, whether it's a caretaking role for elderly family members or for young children or for spouses or friends, that can be a major stress contributor. And I think it's complicated because it also delivers a lot of reward. So people are hesitant to make changes in those really important roles in their lives, um, initially anyway. It doesn't mean that we have to abandon those roles, of course, to manage our stress, but just really practice setting some boundaries and learning how to incorporate taking care of yourself in addition to taking care of others. Work is also another major stressor. I have been to practice in Bethesda and in Washington, D.C., and as you can imagine, it's pretty high pressure and a lot of uh, responsibility and demand people feel. So there's a lot of pressure around work and, and feeling either like they have people have to work extra hard to be recognized, or they've been working at a certain level for many, many years and trying to make changes and set boundaries is difficult when you've been setting a really high bar for yourself over time.
1: Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeka during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy Provide mental clarity and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification. dranna.com slash cynthia that's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link dranna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Well, I think there, you know, in this area, because uh, where I'm also in in Northern Virginia, uh, one of the things I see is this, you know, kind of overriding perfectionism that um, will eke into every area of people's lives, whether it's just at work or physically, especially um, I'm a woman in my 40s. And as I'm aging, I'm seeing, you know, some women that are definitely navigating those changes uh, more readily than others and some uh, who really are struggling a bit. And, And I say this lovingly, it's just, you know, oftentimes I'm out at parties and people will Share things with me, and I and I just think you know there's there's something deeper to look at if if you're feeling like that's the overriding drive for why you're behaving a certain way. And I, I think the other distinction that I hear from my own clients um, is talking about how they view fuel food, excuse me, as fuel or ver- using it as a as a coping mechanism. So again, kind of coming back to what are the stressors and how do we how do we um, maladaptively or proactively address those stressors when we experience them.
2: That's right. I, I tell my clients a lot. You know, the way that we have evolved over time to use food as a strategy for coping actually makes a fair amount of sense. If it didn't come with the consequences of feeling bad and the health complications, because truthfully, it's it it sort of works, right? I mean, we know biologically that food does have that sort of soothing. Um, um response in our bodies, and then, of course, with learned habits over time that's that becomes a pretty important way of of managing stress. So I try to help people understand this is not something to be ashamed of by any stretch of the imagination. It's much more something to address if it has become a problem for you in in terms of conflicting with your other
0: health goals. Absolutely. I can imagine removing that shame or giving someone the permission to understand that it's not, quote unquote, their fault or that they have to be It's something that they need to feel bad about. I I really think that that probably allows them to relate to you and also to be more open to the changes and different ways of thinking that you suggest.
2: Boy, let me tell you, we have just hit on what I think is probably the most important piece of the work that I do. Um, Addressing this issue of shame really starts, from my perspective anyway, with helping people understand that weight is a biological condition, ultimately. So it's the fact that it has become, from a society standpoint, related to self-blame and shaming is just so counterproductive to healing right? I mean, this is, this is a biological condition that needs to be treated from a biological and psychological and environmental and social perspective. But I think once people understand that weight has a biological perspective and a genetic component, maybe it frees them up a little bit to feel less uh, at fault, right? People walk around carrying this issue of, of self-blame and feeling like, oh, if I just had enough willpower, then I could lose weight or I could make changes in my behavior, but I think that that self-talk, that self-shaming just layers on and adds to the difficulty we have in making those changes ultimately.
0: Yeah, and I think really it it probably is self-sabotaging in many respects because once you sort of buy into that, it's hard to get out of the, that negative thinking pattern about yourself. And then, of course, those thoughts are going to lead to certain behaviors. So if you could speak to a little bit about those thought patterns and how the thoughts and the behaviors sort of get tied together, that would be great. Sure. So I think
2: many programs
0: out there, uh, for weight management
2: are it can be very effective for some people. But what they usually focus on are the behaviors, right? So uh, making changes in the type of food you're eating or the amount of food you're eating. And those are all really behaviors. But from a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective, which is what I mostly work with, behaviors are ultimately downstream or the result of thinking and feeling patterns before them. So what I say to people is that While most people know what to do from a behavioral perspective, they really struggle with either doing it um, or staying connected and recognizing that there's a a gap there where they have the opportunity to make a change before they do that action. So for example, a client might say, uh, you know, I was at the grocery store and I went in with a plan and I knew what I was going to buy. And then when I left, I had a bunch of other foods with me that I, I really didn't plan on buying. And while from a behavioral perspective, the answer would be bring a shopping list and don't buy the foods not on your list. People know that, but then they get in the store and in that moment, something happens where they get disconnected from that behavior. So I talk to people about looking upstream of the behavior into the thoughts and feelings that are triggered because that really is what we can change um, to, to help downstream the behavior change. What I see most commonly are people falling into a couple patterns of thinking. Black and white or all or nothing thinking is very common. So people will say, I was really good today or I was really good this week. And then if they make one slip up, then they feel like all hope is lost or they've fallen off the wagon, so to speak. And that sort of all or none thinking really sets people up. The next is negative self-talk. And this relates back to that shame cycle we were talking about, but boy, people are just so hard on themselves. And I'm sure the three of us have fallen victim to this pattern too. Um, But we really work on addressing the negative self-talk because, you know, if you walk into the grocery store in that previous example, telling yourself that there's no hope for you, that you're a failure, that you have too much weight to lose, that what's the point? Boy, you can start to see why those other foods suddenly end up in your cart. And then the last thing I would say that we really address are all the shoulds. There's so many shoulds in our lives. We should get up earlier. We should work out harder. We should do this and that. And I just ask people to really start flagging those shoulds and make some adjustments in how they talk to themselves there, maybe saying things like, I will or I can commit to. And that, that usually has a downstream effect of feeling more empowered and then changing some behavior.
1: slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep
0: That's so great. I think we all need to feel, we we all could take that advice and feel a bit more empowered and responsible for our choices, understanding that we can have some power to do different things. So when we think about changing the actual behaviors that are going to help make us healthier, do you have any tips on how to go about making those types of changes?
2: Well, I, I do have some general tips. Um, but I will, again, go back to the point that everyone is different. Everyone has their own patterns and their own habits and routines. And the work that I do really starts with understanding what that baseline looks like. So why, what are people doing right now? And that helps inform our decision making and, and planning around what are the behaviors we address. That said, some things that I think generally come up are, number one, get good sleep, right? And that one can take some time. We often work on building sleep hygiene routines, Really addressing what's getting in the way of people getting good quality sleep, whether that's a medical condition like obstructive sleep apnea, or a behavioral issue like you know staying up in bed and reading or playing on your phone uh, until too late at night. So sleep is one that's really common across people. And then building a good support network, building people, finding people around you that support you making these changes in your life. Um, that's another area that we work on right away. And then ultimately. I really try to understand what are the, the strengths of the person sitting in front of me. Everyone has strengths in self-care. We just have to sometimes dust them off a little bit and bring them back into the forefront of how that person sees themselves and sees their uh, identity in, this, in, this, in their lives, and we build from there.
1: That's wonderful. I'm so glad that you addressed sleep because that is always one of my top three things that I work on um, with my own women in, in my practice, uh, because I think it's so undervalued, but so vital. And especially as people are um, you know, getting older, when you're 20 years old, you can get by with a whole lot less sleep than, um, let's be honest, I'm at a point in my life where I need more sleep than I probably did five or six years ago. Um, but really, really important that you're, you're bringing that up and addressing it. And I love the fact that you mentioned support, um, and then, you know, you know the whole thought process and how it impacts, um, you know, how we kind of view the world and and think of ourselves and in time and space.
2: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. The the sleep thing is it's funny, right? People people sort of know that they should get more sleep, quote unquote, but then actually implementing that on a night to night basis is really challenging, especially if you have a stressful job or you have. Uh, you know, young kids in the home that wake you up in the night. So there's a lot of, a lot of room to work on our sleep improvement, I think.
0: Absolutely. And what I love about your approach, working with individuals and meeting them where they are, is that by implementing some of these changes to behaviors, and as you mentioned, kind of upstream to thoughts, they're really becoming healthier people. So yes, they might lose weight in the process, but they're also going to be just kind of all around healthier. I think that's right.
2: I I say to clients, you know, it's not that I'm not interested in how much weight you're losing. Of course, I want to support people in their efforts to lose weight. But really more importantly, I want people to feel well. I want them to feel stronger and healthier um, and just better about themselves. And I think that that ultimately contributes to, better management over eating behavior, maybe taking more time to sleep well, taking more time to move their bodies in ways that feel safe and comfortable to them. So from my standpoint, I think generally feeling well is my ultimate goal for my clients. There's many times in a session when we rarely talk about food, even though they're there to work on weight management, because we're talking about all of these other contributing factors that lead them to using food
0: to soothe. Yeah, that is just so powerful. Dr. Pashby, you have your private practice in Bethesda and DC. And if I'm understanding correctly, you're also going to be hosting or running groups. Is that correct? That's correct. So starting
2: in September, uh, we are going to be leading some groups for women in their 30s and 40s, bringing together women who could really benefit from having more support and connection as they navigate this thing we call life with all of it stressors and life transitions Um, and again building on the fact that surrounding yourself with people who want and are working on the same things and really can support each other boy the research really shows us over and over again how critical that support is uh, to making long-term sustainable changes
0: yeah that's so important I think for people who want to lose weight and for people who you know just want to live a healthy life and, and improve their life in other ways as well Well, Dr. Pashby, could you tell us perhaps two things that our listeners should know if they wanted your top tips for improving their everyday wellness? Absolutely.
2: You're going to get sick of hearing me say this, but (laughs) I'm going to say, get more sleep if you can, or really work on improving the quality of your sleep. So those are two different pieces, right? Sometimes clients will say, I was in bed for 10 hours or nine hours, but when we start to really pull it apart, they were actually asleep for maybe five or six. So really working on both the quality and the quantity of good sleep is my number one thing. Um, The second thing I would say is that learning how to understand our self-talk is such a critical piece of behavior change. When we learn to speak more kindly to ourselves, I think it opens up the space for us to take the risk of changing and letting go of some of these old habits and old behavior patterns that have us feeling stuck where we are today. I saw a quote the other day that said something like, you will never talk to anyone as much as you talk to yourself, so be kind. And I really liked that.
0: Oh, that is so true. Well, we definitely want to respect your time um, while you're on vacation, but I'd love to hear how people can get in touch with you and find out more about your work.
2: Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, So the first thing they can do is visit my website, which is www.dchealthpsychology.com. And um, all of our contact information is on there. They can send emails or uh, our phone numbers on there as well. And from there, I'm happy to go back and forth with folks either by phone or by email, um, teaching them more about what I do, or connecting them to one of my esteemed colleagues as well.
1: Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. I think this might be one of our favorite podcasts we've done thus far. Really, really valuable information for everyone, including myself and how I even interact with my own clients and family and and mindset. So thank you again for carving out a little bit of time to speak with us this morning.
2: You're so welcome. It's lovely to talk to both of you. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank
0: you so much for joining us. You can find out more about Cynthia and her work at chtwellness.com. And you can find out more about Kelly and her work at everydaytherapist.com. In addition, if you have questions for us or topics you'd like us to address, please email us at everydaywellnesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be well.